listening to The Big Album Show with Paul Dillon and Dan O'Neill. Hello and welcome to the latest edition of The Big Album Show with me, Paul Dillon. And me, Dan O'Neill. Tonight we are celebrating the 25th birthday of a terrific album. That's 1977 by The Amazing Ash. This terrific LP won Ash a legion of loyal fans with tracks like Oh Yeah, Kung Fu, Angel and the Scepter, Girl from Mars, Goldfinger and more. It still stands out as one of the best records of its time and won a place in the heart of music fans. 25 years on, the album's energy, its pace, its urgency still packs a punch. Ash R, Tim Wheeler, Mark Hamilton and Rick McMurray and we're delighted, Dan, to have Rick McMurray on the big album show tonight, the drummer from Ash. You're very, very welcome, Rick. Oh, thanks for having me, lads. Um, yeah, what an intro. Thank you for uh, your kind words. Very welcome. Uh, well, well, Rick, when you put on the album 1977 into your tape deck or your on vinyl or, or CD player or God help us, Spotify, and um, the first song you hear on the album is a relatively heavy, up-tempo song, um, and immediately it's clear that uh, you're one hell of a drummer. When you sit down behind a drum kit to play the songs of 1977, how does it make you feel? I think at 46 years old, I'm still feeling just about good enough to play <laughs> to play that. Um, we actually did a we did a live stream of 1977 um, a couple of months back, and it was like the first time we'd played for uh, over a year. It was the first time I'd seen Tim and Mark for over a year. So um, I think the first day we get set up, um, get into the studio, it was like, uh, it was quite quite a lit, a lit day, sort of, sort of travel and all that. And we get in, set up and was like, right, what should we do? Tim and Mark were like, let's do lose control. And I was like, I think we made it about a quarter of the way through it. And it was just like, right, let's come back to that one tomorrow. We might need to build our way up to that. But um, yeah, no, it's, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a huge rush and it's like, you know, it's, it's a song that since we released 1977 has probably opened more shows than it hasn't. Certainly for the first 10, 15 years of, uh, of doing live shows since, since its release. So, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's definitely a, a difficult one to replace as a, as a live opener. Um, but yeah, you gotta be on your toes for it. In many ways, this album has what I would kind of describe as the perfect opener in that song. And also then in Dark Side, Light Side, it has such a really kind of good song to end on. Do you kind of, is that a song you generally finish a set with? Um, no, not always. I guess like um, Dark Side, Light Side is probably one that doesn't get played as often. But yeah, I mean, it was definitely, I think it was kind of written in mind. Like, uh, Tim, Tim had come up with the, the kind of the, the sort of epic kind of outro part um and it was it was kind of like we, we just kind of fused that on to the to the to the song but it was just like a really nice way to to, to end the, re- the record i think we were kind of imagining it as being you know like music for the end credits of a of a, of a movie if you like so um yeah and you can actually hear if you if you listen very closely to the fade out and kind of turn turn it up as it fades out you can actually hear a little uh, a little hint of uh, star wars and the guitar solo <laughs> Glass. And here, come here. While, while we're talking about how the album ends, I have to throw in a quick question <laughs> on the hidden track. What is the story with Sick Party? Oh, I don't know. It was like, um, 
well, we did this thing in the early days of touring with the band. We'd sort of like, you know, as you can imagine, we we spent quite a lot of time in the back of a, a, a transit van, very hungover. And uh, I think our, our method of uh, of getting over our hangovers and, and getting on with our day was uh, we, we just sort of get in the van and then someone would start humming. Everyone would join in and then it would just build up to this like, crescendo of just screaming just to kind of exercise the demons. So while we're recording 1977, we're like, right, let's record the scream as like a, as a hidden track. Um, and sick party was like, I think it was just one night in the studio. Mark was like, I'm feeling a bit, uh, I feel like I'm, I, I could puke. Let's set up some microphones and record it for, for part of like one of the, you know, like hundred tracks that we'd recorded on, on tape of the scream. And, uh, we just listened back to it the next day. It was like the funniest thing ever. So we ended up <laughs> replacing the scream. And uh, yeah, I, yeah, I don't know what we were thinking of putting that on. But it's, uh, <laughs> it's pretty rock and roll. It is. It's quite quite out there as a as a hidden track. <laughs> <laughs> and um, when I, when I kind of think of this album, and in some senses, when I think of, think of the band Ash in general, I think of a kind of unique sound that stems from different influences. So I hear, and, and correct me if, if I'm completely you know, wrong, but when I hear Ash, I hear influences from kind of the United States, whether it be Nirvana or whether it be kind of the pop punk movement, the likes of Weezer and Green Day and, and No Effects and that kind of music. I also then hear kind of the Britpop influence, particularly in songs like uh, Gone to Dream or I'd Give You Anything. Um, I, and, and even in the kind of the, the the verses of Angel Interceptor, it sometimes reminds me a little bit of uh, Jarvis Cocker. So I hear that influence. And then I also hear a kind of a more traditional punk vibe coming through. So the undertones, maybe the buzzcocks um, you know, stiff little fingers. And then even in other songs, I hear a bit of kind of shoegaze music coming through. When you think of 1977 and you compare it to your other albums, kind of where do you place it on the musical spectrum? Yeah, I definitely think there's there's a lot of our um, early influences showing in that record, uh, especially, I guess, you know, if you look at Lose Control, to me, that's like kind of, it's like a very sort of sonic youth kind of vibe to it. it's just like it's you know so so dis- discordant it's like you know son- sonic youth on on speed or something um but yeah i mean there's i guess yeah gone the dream maybe has a bit more of a brit pop influence to the song probably probably the, mo- the closest we ever got i guess and the, with the strings and that and stuff but um yeah interesting few few bands you you mentioned there but weezer were a big influence um, I guess we, we were getting a lot of um, sort of buzzcocks and undertones comparisons in the very early days. It was almost like it was reverse engineered. We, we probably hadn't even heard of those bands um, before we were sort of getting the comparisons. And then obviously hearing the comparisons, you, you just want to go and listen, listen back to it. But yeah, I mean, it's like a great company to be in for sure. But yeah, I mean, it's like, I guess, you know, the album came out, you know, in the heady days of the whole Britpop movement, but we never really felt like we belonged so much in that. You know, we were, uh, we were much more influenced. Like, as you say, Nirvana was like a huge influence. I like kind of like got us, got us turned on to like alternative music. When before that we were like total metal kids. Yeah. Um, and 
yeah, it's interesting you're saying I'd give you anything. It's got a, a Britpop vibe. To me, that's that's total Stooges, actually, which is a big... I remember, I remember when Tim wrote that song in his, uh, his uh, parents' parents' house. I remember going around to his house and he's play, played me the riff to it and it was just like, oh, yeah, it just gave me total, total Stooges vibes. But, yeah, Stooges, Pixies, Nirvana and stuff. Like Teenage Fan Club, uh, I guess, as a band coming from this side of the pond would be a big influence and uh, it's, like me and Tim were big fans of Ride as well so there, yeah there's a bit coming from over here but the vast majority was coming from from the States Every time I listen to the album I hear different kind of influences coming through like today I was driving down the road in the car and Girl From Mars came on and when the guitar solo came up I kind of it reminded me a little bit of Jay Mascus and Dinosaur Jr. Um, I don't know if you if you hear that yourself, but um, no, it's it's just uh, that's that's my kind of music. I love to listen to music written and created by music lovers, and I think when you hear 1977, it's incredibly clear that all three of you guys just just adore music. Yeah, absolutely. And um, here's here's one that I've I've not mentioned in a while, and it's I think it's quite an obscure one, but there's a big Thin Lizzy influence in a lot of the guitar work. Because yeah, Tim was yeah. a massive, um, massive Thin Lizzy fan. Like I think his his older brother, when his his older brother's like, I think about eighteen years older than Tim or something like close to that. Uh, but when he was like sort of like leaving home, he gave Tim his like uh, copy of Live and Dangerous, which was almost like Tim's Bible. But like, it was only sort of like I think it was a good few years after the album was released. I remember sort of Tim mentioning like he was just like in an interview like about stealing loads of stuff from Thin Lizzy we were on tour at the time and I, was, I think we ended up going back like after the gig putting the album on the bus and he was like show me like exactly which bits he lifted off Thin Lizzy which I I didn't even realise so yeah he was a prolific borrower from uh, from Brian Robertson in particular but uh, he kept it, he, he kept it very well hidden I think <laughs> Girl from Mars Rick still stands out for me as I, to this day, it, it is a goosebumps song, you know, and, and just that beginning that's so quiet and so gentle. And then this huge wall of sound just kicks in. Do you remember the moment recording that in the studio? And what was that like? What was your expectation of the song when you were recording it? Well, I think, I think when the song was written and we first got signed, like, I think everyone just, kind of knew that there was something special about that song because it was um it sort of predates trailer it was like very early i guess it was probably we got together in 92 and it was written in sort of like mid 93 so it was well before we were signed but when we got signed there was there was very much a vibe of you know let's keep this one back to a point where you know we'll have left school and we would be able to give it like a, the proper push so we kind of knew that, but I remember when we were recording it, um, um, we we got the whole thing done and uh, we're do, doing overdubs and there's this just like mad track. You you, you kind of it's mo- more most noticeable I think just after the acoustic intro, and then when the whole band kicks in, but it was this tiny, tiny little box of an amplifier. It's uh, maybe I can demonstrate it with this child's toy. It's about <laughs> this size. It's the kind of like the amp that comes with your like first guitar from the catalogue when you're a kid. Don't know if any any listeners are old enough to remember that such a thing, but 
you got like this like battery powered tiny little amplifier with a small speaker. I mean, the speaker wasn't much bigger than like the diaphragm and that microphone you're using there. And it was just huge, just like this guitar, just like going through a tiny amp through like a 57 microphone, bog standard microphone, and then just like cranked up. And it was just like the most glorious, like distortion we'd ever heard. It was just like such a cool like burst of energy and just brought the track to life. Are there other tracks on the album that stand out for you if you had to pick? I think one that I, one that I always come to when I'm asked to pick is Goldfinger. I think, you know, there's a sort of, there's almost a kind of logical progression. If you look at like at the stuff we were doing from like trailer through to the early singles in 1977, you know, it was like, it was definitely mining that kind of punk pop vein. You know, it was like, you, you can see like Girl from Mars is in that, Kung Fu's in it, Angel Interceptor in it. So and Goldfinger to me was just this different beast and, I get, you know, at, at the time, you know, it was probably probably quite a gamble to do something as kind of radical as that, but I kind of liked the idea of just like kind of shaking people's expectations and it worked. It was like our biggest, you know, our highest charting single, I think, um, when it was released and it just gave, it gave like a, the band another dimension. So that, that's, and it's one that I just love playing to this day. The dy- dynamics in it are so cool. Yeah, I love the way it, it kind of goes quiet loud in the verse rather than the kind of uh, pixie-esque way in which you'd expect, you know, in terms of verse quiet, chorus loud. And then the drums are pretty cool in it as well. I don't know what the technical term is, but it sounds like um, they kind of slow down in the part oh, of the yeah, song. Oh, yeah, yeah. There's I think it's coming out of the, um, coming out of the first chorus. There's a, like a kind of total slow down bit that we we built into it as well it's like i don't i think tim came up with that idea from it was from some movie or something like that he just wanted to put in this like slow down bit and it's just like okay we'll we'll give it a go you know it's like it's a pretty weird idea but it's just like it's kind of kind of cool it's like you know it's like that's the kind of thing that people do at the end of the song where we got it like right after the first chorus so it's yeah there's a lot of like mad ideas, but yeah, I mean, it's got, it's got a lot of space in it for sure. You know, it's with, with those quiet parts of the verse and the drums dropping out and then it's got like space after like vocal lines for me to kind of like do a call and response thing with it. So yeah, it's definitely, definitely it was like just coming from somewhere quite different. And the interesting thing as well is just like a lot of like musicians pick up in that song as well. It's like, um, I know when we toured with Weezer in the States, like um, Rivers would always talk to talk to Tim about that song going like, you know, I always want to write songs with these like kind of like off the wall chord pro- progressions and stuff that, you know, technically shouldn't work. And it's just like I, everything I write has this like really obvious chord changes stuff. And it's just like, how did you come up with that? And it's just like, I don't know. So I, I remember at one point, I think we were doing some stuff where I was playing acoustic guitar and like just in like acoustic sessions. And uh, Tim was like, yeah, we might do Goldfinger. So I was like, I was looking at tabs for it and I was going like, this can't be right. This doesn't make any sense. And I was like, no, it's, it's the right chord. So yeah, something, something very cool about something that shouldn't work, but just does. Rick, one of the tracks that I absolutely love on the album is 
Oh, yeah. And I think for me, it kind of captures the youth and optimism of a band. You know, the, the lyrics, uh, oh, yeah, she was taking me over. And oh, yeah, it was the start of the summer. There's just, you know, there's there's something about that, isn't there? That, you know, what's, what does that mean to the band, that that song? Because it it's, you know, it, it, it's been hugely successful. And I mean, I remember as well, do you remember, do you remember the Neil Hannon uh, recording as well that was on Hot Press um, that everybody was looking for? And you could, if you had it, which I had, the little green one, you could sell it for about wow. 15 pounds. <laughs> so, I mean, is that, a, is that a, a song that means, what's that song mean? To oh, yeah. I mean, it's, a, it's, it's, it. um, it, it's, a, it's a great one. I think it, it kind of encapsulates that time really well, actually, just that kind of energy that we had. And the, the, you know, it's like pretty, I think it's pretty audacious having a song just called Oh Yeah. Um, you know, but it was like that sort of like, <laughs> it kind of encapsulates that kind of like from like when girl from mars was released like that's when we left school that's when stuff started going crazy with our first top 20 single and we started like we were doing like uh, like i guess we we did our like first world world tour just after that doing like loads of festivals in europe going to australia and japan at the first time for the first time and going to the states as well so that was like you know we're just like you know, 18, just left school, touring the world, going into the studio, being, you know, being on the fringes of this, like, exciting, like, guitar scene that was happening in the UK as well. So, and, you know, kind of like, trying to come up with this this album that kind of justified our, um, you know, our, our, our build-up, if you like. And we it was like we were kind of riding this crest of a wave as all that was happening. Um and it was it was a pretty unique time because I think the thing that people maybe forget a little bit is like although it's our debut album, it's like very much not a traditional debut album because we kind of used up most of our songs on the uh, mini album trailer. So it was like it was almost like going in sort of like half debut album, but half like difficult follow up album. But I think because we were right, we kind of riding this wave of like you know. Kung Fu, Girl from Mars, Angel Interceptor into the writing process. We were just like, it felt like we had this like confidence that everything we were doing was like just, you know, turning to gold. We just had had this touch, and you know that that confidence definitely shines through in that song. I think lyrically, one of the things Rick that we do on the Big Album Show um, is that when we're talking about albums, we we tend to become very aware that you can't really divorce the album from the time. Um, and one of my great memories of the time um, is the run up to the Good Friday Agreement and the gig that you played alongside you two in the Waterfront Hall to 2006 form students, if my memory serves correctly. Um, it was a really, really big deal at the time because John Hume, then the leader of the SELP, had this, you know, this kind of handshake and awkward kind of hands in the air moment with with with, uh, with Trimble, David Trimble, who was then the leader of the UUP. Um, but you guys uh, had, you know, played that gig with you too. And um, I think, um, you know, the writer and broadcaster Stuart Bale said it accounted for 2% uh, of the um, referendum result, of the yes result. But what are your memories of that? Because it felt like me, it felt felt for me at the time to be pretty significant, and it was huge news. It was yeah, yeah, absolutely. And that was that's kind of what it was designed to do. I think there was a there was a, definitely a feeling with uh, 
I know it was it was kind of the brainchild of uh, John Hume and uh, Anne Bonner, really. I think, um, and they felt that the <clears throat> the entire media coverage was was very um, geared towards the the negative side, and they wanted like just some some big kind of event that the yes side could kind of grab the headlines and that run up to the vote. And uh, yeah, absolutely, there was absolutely a feeling like after we after we did that, like my abiding memory of it is just coming off stage actually and walking up the stairs to the dressing room. And I happened to be like just beside John Hume and, and just like saying to him, just like, it feels like it's going to happen. And he was just like, no shadow of a doubt. He was, it is going to happen. And this is what's, you know, this is this is the thing that will have made the difference. So, you know, who, who knows? I mean, a vote only happens once and may have gone through anyway. But, you know, without that, you you, do, you know, you dread to think if it had gone the other way, what what things would be like. It, it felt hugely optimistic and hopeful, Rick. I mean, that was my memory of it. I mean, I was quite young at the time. I was a teenager, but there was a real sense of this. It captured this moment of optimism and hope. Yeah, That's yeah, what it absolutely. Felt me I mean, anyway. we, um, we were actually, to a certain extent, not massively aware because we were actually in the studio um, recording the follow-up and we'd not been in Northern Ireland. We were like, you know, living this nocturnal existence in the studio as, as we did back in those days, just in our own bubble, like working away, work, working away in the songs. But um, it was when you know, management got the call saying, you know, it like, we need, we need the band for this. Are they up for it? And we, you know, it was just, there was no question. It was like, absolutely. Yes we're doing this, you know, it's like, it's one chance to, you know, you know, make it, make a bit of a difference. And, you know, um, yeah, it's just an incredibly, you know, proud moment. And and it became after I remember the Sunday Independent and I, I don't often quote the front page, but they had a terrific headline that said, yes, and yes, it's the people's agreement. So it's a great moment to remember. Um, yeah. uh, so, well, it, you know, it's, it's a, it's a, it, it stands out as a really special time. And um, yeah, well, that's, that, that's how yeah, you do referendums. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I think some things may have been forgotten over the, over the last, 20 odd years since then do, do you could you imagine that kind of moment of optimism and hope today rick we could do with it <laughs> that's for sure but um i don't know i mean it's like I, th- I think we are we are we are living in a in a different world now i don't know whether that sort of thing would would happen you know it's like you know the media has changed massively you know people's you know People's listening habits have changed massively. Whether, whether that sort of thing is a, a thing of the past, I don't know. Hopefully, hope isn't a thing of the past. Anyway, yeah. um, one of the one of the things we like to do on the show is uh, throw a quick fire round at our guests. So we're going to put okay. you under a bit of pressure. We're going to throw out a few questions at you, and we want you to answer um, off the top of your head. And uh, we'll, we'll see how we get on. So first of all, Rick, favorite album ever. Um, yeah, we'll go with um, Surfer Rosa by the Pixies. It's uh, it's just got a sound all of its own. It's got you know, it's got such attitude to the songs. It's like every single song, and that's kind of got its own flavor and unique, but it, it all kind of comes together as one thing with the production on it. So, yeah, absolutely love it. What What's your favorite word? Homunculus. <laughs> 
a monkey like <laughs> brilliant <laughs> you should try and write that into a song for your next yeah. album it'd be it might yeah, be a good try album get some rhymes with that yeah yeah um do you have any hidden talents not that i can think of off the top of my head no <laughs> Okay, the greatest drummer ever, apart from You're yourself. Um, uh, yeah, hard hard to get away from John Bonham. Um, just 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 a beast, you know. It's like influenced everyone, you know. Anyone else, I would, anyone else I mentioned yeah. would probably have been influenced by him anyway. So, and one of John Bonham's drum kits features on 1977, doesn't it? It does on a couple of tracks, yeah. Which we um, when we first recorded with Owen Morris. Um, we went in like in between Christmas and New Year um, when he was doing uh, a Northern Soul with the Verve. He kind of sent sent the band home. Things had got quite fractious in the studio, so we used used the downtime. And I don't know how the Verve got uh, got a hold of Joan Bottom's first ever drum kit, but that's what I that's what I was playing on. I just kind of wish I, I was uh, kind of a little bit more aware of it. Kind of wish wish you, wish you kind of had a phone. You know, I could I could have you know. Maybe had a picture of it on Instagram or something. <laughs> <laughs> as, as as Rod Stewart said, I wish I knew what yeah, I did so now when I was younger. Yeah. Isn't that the way it goes sometimes? <laughs> What's your favorite uh, jacket potato filling? I'm going to go chili. Yeah. Okay, chili, yeah, yeah. And then uh, the, the final one for you is... Um, do you have any kind of bands that you're listening to at the moment that you'd suggest people listen to in terms of, you know, contemporary bands, I suppose, bands to yeah, watch out I mean, for? Yeah, I mean, one thing that's really caught my ear in the last week, actually, is a, this band called Wet Leg. Um, and their their single, uh, Chaise Long, which I kind of caught it when I was cooking last week. And I was just like, the one bit that sort of pricked up my ears, I kind of like the whole band drops out and it's just like, just the chorus just repeats over and over again. It was just like, oh man, this is so annoying. And then I heard it again the next day. And I was like, this is kind of catchy. And then by the, by the third listen, I was just like, hang on, this is this is amazing. It's they, it was so cool. Like a duo, they're a duo from the Isle of Wight, and uh, yeah, amazing. I think they're on Domino Records. They've literally only got that song out at the minute, but it's like if. If the rest of it is is catchy and just kind of like tongue in cheek and just it's it got it's just dripping with kind of like sarcasm. It's it's just it's just kind of got everything that great great pop song should have. So check him out for sure. Have Have you heard the guys in um, Black Midi yet? Yeah, I've heard little, little bits and pieces. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah, I, I was listening to them today, and I, the reason I raise it is the first track on their new album is just completely crazy in terms of the rhythm and the drumming you, yeah you, you gotta yeah. hear it yeah there's, there's there's definitely definitely some some interesting stuff out there was, um i was listening to is it black country no new road um who are nominated for the mercury prize i think that sort of like passed me by in the last year but i checked that out as well it's pretty cool as well uh, Rick, I'm v- v- lucky enough to have seen Ash uh, three times live and myself and Dan definitely intend on, on going to see a show um, when things go back to normal, uh, when, when you know, something we're looking forward to. I saw Ash in Play the Olympia Theatre 2001. That was my favourite uh, gig. It was actually New Year's Eve gig. Um, 
and I saw them um, at the UCD Freshers Ball 2005 and also in the Oktoberfest festival um, in, in Dublin um, a number of years ago. There wasn't much, much German about it except the sausages, but great shows, all three of them. Um, but just to, you know, I'm very interested to hear, we're both very interested to hear about your, your take on live music uh, right now and what's going to happen coming out of the pandemic because uh, Van, Van Morrison, Van the Man, um, has had some choice things to say about music and the lockdown and, you know, not being able to do live music. Um, what are your takes as we look to the future of live music and what has it been like as a gig and band not to be able to do live shows uh, during the last period? I mean, you know, it's been what, like almost close to 18 months since our term was cut short. And, you know, I couldn't imagine missing it as much as I actually have over, over the last while. You know, it's like it really brought home you know, what an amazing, unique experience live music is. But at the same time, it's like, you know, we're we're going back in a couple of weeks and, you know, I, I, I'm dying to do it, but, you know, I don't want to die doing it. You know, I was just, I was chatting to uh, a, a drummer mate of mine um, who plays for Paul Heaton, um, he sent me a message. I hadn't hadn't spoken spoken to him in, in quite a while, but uh, we're playing. We're due to play Manchester in September, and just asking how he was going. He's going, yeah. I've had COVID twice, and I've had I've had. A, I'm just getting over it, which I caught after I'd been vaccinated twice. So it's like you know, it just it kind of blows my mind hearing you know, people like Van Morrison or Eric Clapton just like, you know yelling about their right to go out and do gigs you know I'm, I'm i'm more concerned about our audience's right to be safe at a gig i'm concerned about their i don't know ability to be able to go to the gig you know to go to gigs safely to have come through a pandemic still in a job you know instead of being chucked out in the rear and not being looked after like you know, especially in, in the UK compared to what, you know, what funding's gone on in Europe, you know, it's like there, there, there's a lot of people out there that are, that are suffering and they should, you know, people people should be able to go out to the gig, you know, not sort of like making a choice between can I can I feed myself or, or go to a show. It's like, you know, people need to be, you know, making a decent wage and be able to go out to the gig safely without having to worry about that bullshit. Yeah, defo. Absolutely. And, and and so see all of us, Dan, I think uh, totally, totally agree with you. Just one of the things that I, I was I was thinking of, Rick, when I was coming to the pod here was the trailer record, which you you mentioned. Uh, so and I, 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 lo- I always love the title. You know, the, there's a trailer on the front of it, of course. But then, of course, film trailer. It's great. It's it's really good. One of my first introduction to Ash uh, was the song Uncle Pat and regular listeners will be glad that I am not going to try and hum it, even though it's incredibly hummable and it's temp- very tempting to try and, and do it. Um, it. It featured, of course, famously in the Heineken ad, and that's where many of us first came across Ash. Um, what are your memories of making that? And was that, a, was that, did that feel like the breakthrough moment for the band? Yeah, I mean, that, that was, that was quite, quite a huge moment. Um, just in terms of, I'm not even sure how to word it, but the weird thing about it was when we wrote it, um, 
the first thing it, we played just played played that riff before there was even like lyrics to it um we played through that riff we're just like just sounds like a beer ad you know um wouldn't it be great you know if if we could get this on a beer ad and then you know obviously we re- record it you know it's the so- songs written and then you know a few months after re- release it's like Heineken are in touch with us going we want to use this for for an ad in Ireland it's like wow that's like yeah I guess maybe the word serendipity I'm not sure if that's right or not but yeah I just felt like a a really cool moment and uh you know it's like just like kind of mind-blowing you know it's like we we had like a few like I guess we had a bit of underground success if you like you know like a few like songs in the independent charts or whatever but you know getting used in an ad was just like a big deal it's like a lot of people are going to see this this is kind of nuts so yeah definitely definitely one that we uh we'll always remember and uh it's a, it's always like a, a fun tune to play especially in ireland where, where people remember it from that ad as well so and when you look into the into the future into the ash crystal ball what's the what's the plan what's the direction of travel where does this uh where does it go from here um oh well, i think it's just um at the minute, hopefully, like playing catch up, and by the end of September, as long as things have gone well, we'll have done what we set out to do in 2020, and then we can look look forward. But we're um, we've got the new album pretty much in the bag. I think it just needs a couple of final mix tweaks and mastering. And uh, yeah, I just want to want to get that new music out there because um, you know, obviously, there's been there's been a lot of things holding it up. I mean, to be honest, it's been three years since I finished recording the drums almost for that album. But we've had COVID in the way we've had, you know, it's like not, I would, well, I wouldn't call it getting in the way, but you know, the, uh, the record company wanted to put out the teenage wildlife thing, um, which is, you know, that's, that's great getting that out there. But, you know, it's like, we were like kind of wanting to get on with doing a new album. So there's been a lot of things that have held it up, but it's, uh, and, the, and, and, the, and, the, and the pictures were great and, and, and you guys look very well. You would barely know that it's been, uh, the, the amount yeah. of time since the original <laughs> picture. So thank you very much. Yeah. <laughs> well, 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 look, Rick, all we have to say from here is thank you so, so much for joining us on the show. It's been a real pleasure. Both Paul and I are massive Ash fans. So it's been a real honor getting to talk to you yeah. and, um, Hope to chat to you again. Thanks a million. Absolutely. And uh, thanks for having me on. You know, it's like, you know, missing live music. The next best thing is like chatting to you guys about it. So, um, yeah, makes me feel good as well. So, yeah, keep up the good work. And uh, thanks for having me on. You're listening to The Big Album Show with Paul and Dan. Please remember to subscribe, hit like, and remember to follow us on our social media platforms at The Big Album Show. (laughs) 